You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. I don't know about you, but I, I want to think if we're honest, we probably have all asked the question, where is God in all of this? Have you found that you've asked that question at some points in your life? Like, where is God in this? Maybe you've gone through some type of bad experience. Maybe you've encountered a bad relationship. Maybe someone was sick. And, and you, you asked, where is God in this? Like, I remember when 9-11 happened. And I was in college, and I was walking down the stairs, and everybody was gathered around a television watching the news. And I, I can remember the question was, where is God in all of this. Where's he at? There have been times where I've, I've met with people who prayed and prayed and prayed for their loved one to be healed of a sickness and they pass away or they get that diagnosis. They get that one phone call and it changes their whole life and we ask the question, where in the world is God in this? And oftentimes we'll follow that up that if, if I were God, I would do things completely different. This would have never happened. It would have been done differently. They wouldn't have suffered the way that we've suffered. And I think that's a fair question to ask. And I think a lot of times we feel that when we ask questions like that, that we're being disrespectful toward this holy God. But it's not. Because the only way that you sometimes find what it is you're looking for is you got to ask. You got to, where, where are you in this God? Because, and here's the thing that I'll tell you, that when we ask that question, we have to land on the assurance that God is in the midst. If we believe that God is everywhere, He is in the middle of whatever it is that we're going through. We, just have, we have to have these spirit eyes to be able to see where it is that God's at work. So over the next three weeks, we're going to jump into this series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. Now, this is not an original series. I didn't come up with this series. Um, it, this is a, a jumble off of one that North Point, Andy Stanley did, and Craig Rochelle did. Um, I just took all the the research, and I did my own research, and I did my own prowling. Uh, prowling? Where's that word come from? Praline. I'm thinking about praline. I'd love praline right now. It'd be great. Um, but did my own research and put it together to fit what it is for our church and prayed for the Holy Spirit to give words this morning. So when God doesn't make sense, we're going to look at three different New Testament stories over the next couple of weeks that I, I think will talk about these themes that are, that, that are very difficult for us to wrestle with because a lot of times we try to run away from those questions because we don't have answers for those. I mean, that's, that's one of the worst things as a pastor that um, when somebody calls and their whole life has fallen apart and I don't have answers. I don't have answers. And I've learned this. It's okay. Because sometimes you're not calling for me to give you an answer, are you? Sometimes you're just calling because I just need somebody to listen to me. I just need somebody to listen. Did you know that sometimes you can help somebody a lot more by not saying anything and just listening and just hearing from them? And while they're talking, just pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to work in their life, for the Holy Spirit to continue to, to unravel some things in them. So we're going to look at these three Old Testament stories. Each week we're going to discuss the theme. Today's theme that we're going to look like is when God seems like he's inattentive, when he's not even, where is he? Like he's, he's not even doing anything. I'm asking, but I don't have his attention. So I'm going to start with this question. And this is an honest, like we're an honest church. We tell the truth. We're very transparent here. So how many of you would say that you prayed and it didn't seem like God was listening? Show of hands. Anybody? You prayed and you felt like God just was not listening. Okay. Everybody feel better? It's not just you? 
Because maybe you've been like, I've prayed, it only happens to me. No, there's times that we pray, and ha- there are things that I have prayed for. And by the way, people think because I'm a pastor that I have this special, this special card, which I do have a card that says I'm a pastor. But I don't have a special spiritual card that puts me on a higher level than you are. Some of you are far more understanding of theology than I am. I'm not that bright, okay? I have to draw pictures with my theology, a picture book like Dr. Seuss to remember it. So I'm on the same level that everybody else is. I, I think a lot of times people think that pastors are these, like the Pope. I'm, I'm not a Pope. I'm, I'm an ordinary, common, uneducated man, just like the disciples were. And I feel, I feel at home in that. We all have these moments where we probably have prayed and God is just not listening. So what do we do? Because you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing. And this is where, as, as followers of Jesus, we've got to be mindful and be cautious because this is where people give up on their faith. It's easy to walk away when your prayers aren't being answered. It's easy to walk away when you feel that God is inattentive. He's not paying any kind of attention. Like you pray and you pray and you pray and you feel like nothing happens and you love Jesus. And then you have friends that barely love Jesus and they get the best parking spot. They got the best marriage. They got the best finances. They got the most well-behaved children in public. Because you all know when kids are in public, they're good. But when they go home, it's like, yeah, if you just come home for like an hour, you'll see. And you pray, and nothing happens for you. And and it's like, they don't do anything, and they get all these blessings. Anybody feel that way? It's like, this is just, this is not fair. So where, where is God when I'm praying and I've done all these things? I faithfully serve. I faithfully give. I faithfully attend. I faithfully meet with a small group. I faithfully give my time to people. Where is God in all of this? And I think that's a, that's a question that we're going to look, look at because it's one that's presented in the Bible. So I'm going to give you the key thought for the day, and then we're going to kind of build the rest of this morning on that. You ready for the key thought? Here we go. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he is absent. Because we, we believe, based off of Scripture, that God is what we would call omnipresent. He is everywhere. The reason that it seems that God is absent is because we don't have the spirit eyes to see where he is at work. Because sometimes our wants and desires overcloud and blur the vision of where God is at work. There were things that I can remember just a few years ago, I spent a lot of time just praying through, asking God specifically. And I, did, I asked this question quite honestly and, and, and boldly to him, where are you at in this? Because I do not see you. I don't see you anywhere. And, and I realized the reason that I didn't see God there was because I was not seeing it through the lens of Scripture. I was seeing it through the lens of my preference and what I want. And when we look at the Scriptures, we can often see that there's moments that God is silent. You remember after Jesus was crucified? That was a long three days. Silence. Nothing. Was God absent? Absolutely not. He was working behind the scenes. Sometimes it's in God's, what, what seems like in his silence, he's actually working behind the scenes to do the miracle, the setup for whatever breakthrough is about to come, come your way. So just because you don't hear him doesn't mean that he's not listening. So let me give you this illustration with John the Baptist. You guys know John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. 
He was given one mission in life. That was John the Baptist was, was here to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what he was to do. He was to go and preach the gospel. So this, this crazy, radical prophet, he's wearing, he, he didn't wear normal clothes like everybody else. He was a little ahead of his time. So he's wearing these animal skins. He's eating locusts and dipping them in honey. This is his appetite. And he's, he's moving all throughout the Judean wilderness. And he's preaching the same sermon over and over and over again. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And people got saved and he baptized them. And John even had disciples. Matter of fact, the way that Jesus got some of his disciples was because of the exposure that they had to John pointing to Jesus. John's one mission, his one calling that God had given them was to point people to Jesus. There were oftentimes in the scriptures that people confused who John the Baptist was. When, when this man named Elijah from the Old Testament, who was a prophet, got on a, a fiery chariot and flew up into heaven, people thought that John the Baptist must be Elijah coming back because he preaches with such authority. And so you got this guy, John, who's, who's making an impact, who has a great ministry, who's changing the whole region, pointing people and preparing people for the arrival of his cousin Jesus. And here he is, common person, popular. Oh, here's the other thing about John, too. He didn't hold back what he believed. He didn't hold back his thought process. Like he just let, if, he, called it, he called it what it was. If it was sin, he called it sin. And he had a little bit of attitude when it came to that because he believed this was what the Word of God is. This is I'm a prophet. I'm going to proclaim it, and I'm going to proclaim it with boldness, and it's probably going to get some people upset but I'm not here to please people. I'm here to be obedient to what God has called me to do. So he begins preaching. But it was that very attitude of standing on truth that lands John in this very weird and death, death penalty for him. He, he, he ends up in prison because he gets in trouble for standing on the truth. So there, give you a little backstory. There's a guy named King Herod Antipas. King Herod Antipas. This dude was married, okay, has a wife. Herod Antipas, married, has a wife. But he gets interested because he's hanging out with his brother, and he's like, you know what? His wife's kind of fine. I'm going to flirt with her a little bit. So King Herod Antipas, who's married, begins flirting with his brother's wife. You tracking with me? Okay. He's flirting with his brother's wife, and he says, huh, we got some chemistry. I'm going to go and divorce my wife, and I'm going to marry my brother's wife. And that's what he did, okay? That, right in Scripture, weird stuff. So he basically marries his sister-in-law. Well, John the Baptist hears about this, and knowing, and, he had, and there was already a little bit of a relationship between Herod Antipas and John the Baptist. Matter of fact, Herod Antipas, one that believed that maybe John the Baptist was Elijah. Maybe he was this great prophet, he, he didn't believe in God, but he kind of believed what he was saying. He had a lot of respect for John the Baptist. And John begins telling him the truth. This is wrong. Like, you just divorced your wife, and you caused your brother's wife to divorce him so that you can marry her. And this is the situation that they ended up in, and John preaches to it, so Herod has to have him arrested. Now, the wife her name is Herodias. You, you get all the Herods confused here, but Herod Antipas, the guy, marries the brother, the sister-in-law, Herodias. They get married. Herodias says, I'm not going to take this stuff from John. You're the king. Go kill him. 
But Herodias, but Herod Antipas had enough respect for John the Baptist. He said, no, we're not going to kill him. I'm just going to put him in prison. And maybe, he'll, maybe some time behind bars will, will get him to, to lay off of this and, and realize that he misspoke and he's not allowed to speak out against what it is that we're doing. So Mark chapter 6, that's the backstory. Here's the whole, we'll read it. It says, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor. So we know right now he didn't, want, he didn't really want to arrest him, but it was a favor to his wife Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but, Mary, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, It is against the law for you to marry your brother's wife. I mean, you shouldn't have to say that, right? I mean, you don't go to family reunion and be like, yep, I'm about to break that marriage up because I'm going to marry my brother's wife. He says, so Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was good and a holy man, he protected him. And Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. Now, now why? Why did Herod Antipas, why was he disturbed when he talked to John? It's because John was speaking a truth that he didn't want to hear. He didn't want to hear it. Because John's not calling him out on judgment, by the way. And this is where I think the church messes up a lot of times, that we want to call people out and shame them. John's message is not to bring shame to Herod. It is to bring an awareness to a sin to say, you're better than this. Because I'm here to, I'm telling you, you're better than this. Because there's one coming behind me that I'm preparing the way for that's going to change your life if you give your life to him. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of, of trying to embarrass. John is just doing what God has called him to do. Speak truth, preach the gospel, and prepare the way of Jesus. And he finds himself in jail. Have you ever felt like you've done everything that God asked you to do and you end up in a place that's like, what, what in the world happened here? It doesn't always work out the way that we think it's going to work out. His calling is to prepare the way of God. And whenever anybody would say, we want to follow John, John would say, don't follow me. I'm just a man. You need to follow Jesus. I'm going to point you to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that the baptism of Jesus? John's very, very very open about this this moment is not about me he didn't even want to baptize Jesus he told Jesus you need to be baptizing me so it was never about John he's done everything he's pointed he's baptized he even said I'm so unworthy to even untie the sandals that are on Jesus's feet and he stood for truth and now he's in prison doing the very thing that he was called to do. That just doesn't line up with our, our American Christianity, does it? Now, John's in prison. He's thinking through all these things. I'm here. I mean, was I right? Should I have called it? I mean, our, our, the king that rules over this place is, is being immoral. He's married his wife's brother, and there's divorce, and there's all kinds of you know, scandal stuff, scandalous things happening here. Should I not have done that? Should, should, I mean, here's the question. If you're John the Baptist and you're standing up for Jesus and Jesus is doing miracles for everybody else but not you, where's your faith at right now? I mean, be honest. Where's your faith right now? You're doing it for everybody else. Have you forgotten about me? I'm here. I've been faithful. 
I had this conversation with God one time. It did not go well for me. But I remember just telling him point blank, I'm not happy with you. I've done, I gave God a whole list of things that I had done for him. And then he led me to the book of Job where he had this conversation with Job. And he's like, hey, where were you when I created the world? Oh, that's right. You weren't in it. Because you're not the center of the universe. Where were you? I think we would all be honest and say, if this was us in this situation, we would have these thoughts of our faith would waver. Because when life hits, it begins to waver a little bit. Because we begin asking these questions of where, where is God? And I'll tell you that John the Baptist was a human. A lot of times we take these disciples and we put them into such a holy level they did no wrong. These were a ragtag, but these were rejects. You realize that? They were rejects. Because they shouldn't have been following Jesus as their rabbi. They should have been in the Jewish rabbinical school that they weren't allowed to be in because they didn't qualify to be in it. How do we know that? Because they were fishermen and they were tax collectors. They didn't belong. They were the rejects. And notice Jesus, when he picked them, they were the A-team. There was no backup plan because he believed in them. And John the Baptist here is a, is a human being doing the same things that we've done. Now, he wondered, is Jesus, now think about this, the guy that baptized him, he baptized Jesus. He told him, I'm unworthy to even tie your sandals. He saw the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus. He was there for that whole moment. He heard the, the voice of God speaking audibly. And now he's thinking, is Jesus really who I thought he was? Because where is he at? Because I've done all these things, and I'm in prison for doing all these things, just waiting, and he's not coming through. Now, we're going to have to go to another gospel account real quick to understand where his thought process was. So Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, it says this, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to go ask Jesus. So John's in prison. He's hearing about all this reports of the things that Jesus is doing. Okay? So when he gets his guests to come to the prison, he tells his disciples, hey, go find Jesus. Go find him and ask Jesus this. Now think about it. This is the guy that baptized him. This is the cousin. They grew up together. They knew the whole thing. And he asked this question. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for somebody else? I think that question says it all for John, doesn't it? That, that question right there tells us where he was at. He was in a vulnerable position of going, man, these circumstances aren't adding up to the things that I believe. I'm in this place. I didn't ask to be in this place. And God, are you the one? Now let's, be, let's take it to another another level of honesty have we asked that question before not where are you are you are you really who you say you are are you just another deity out there and, and he asks these questions because he's saying I, i've been out here saying prepared a way and now i'm not even sure that you are the way because here i am stuck in this place while you're out there doing all of these miracles. I've done all these things, and you've not come through for me. So, so just maybe, maybe you're not the one. You're not the one. You ever been there? May, maybe 
Maybe he's not the one. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Okay? This is, this is a really weird transition of how he responds. Because the question that John the Baptist gave was go ask him, are you the one? Are you the Messiah or should I look for another one? Okay? Easy question. It's a yes or a no. Y'all been there when you had conversations? I know sometimes with my kids, I'll ask a question and they'll give me the runaround. I'm like, no, it's, it's a yes or a no. Or when the police officer pulls you up, were you speeding? Well, what had happened was, it's a yes or a no. And he says this. Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, hey man, I got you. Listen, at midnight, there's going to be this really big earthquake and you're going to escape and y'all going to run free and you're never going to have to worry about this again. You're going you're gonna to get on your camel and ride off into the sunset. It's going to be beautiful. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus also didn't reply with this, yes, I'm the one. He didn't give any one of those comforting, either one of those things would have been great for John. But Jesus didn't answer the question. And if you'll notice throughout Scripture, Jesus asked a lot of questions he didn't answer. And why did he do that? Because a lot of times we have to answer questions and depend on the Holy Spirit to give it to us. There's tension and we grow. And he said this, Jesus told them, go back to John. Don't tell him anything about an earthquake. Don't tell him I'm the one. He said this. You tell him that what you have heard and what you have seen, the blind see, the lame walk, those who with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he add, added this. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Go tell him that. Well, that wasn't the question. Well, that's the answer. You want to know if I'm the one? Stop looking at your circumstances of what's going on in your jail cell because you're limited on what you can see in this little jail cell. But I'm telling you, you were called to prepare the way of me and the lame are being healed. The blind can now see because you preached what you were supposed to do. That if you want to know if I'm the Messiah, then you need to be basing it off what you have seen and what you have heard. And you need to remember that the blessing comes for people who don't fall away because of me. Don't get so wrapped up in thinking that I haven't done this and I haven't done that. He's still active and moving. It may just be around you. So John, John in prison, the disciples come to visit. And notice, Jesus didn't come to visit. It was like he just gave a group text. You ever be told happy birthday on a group text? <laughs> like, you couldn't just told me by yourself? Like just private group text me? I feel special. And he's thinking, you know, you're, you're out here healing other people. You're doing miracles for strangers. That's cool that lame people who couldn't walk are, are standing up. You, you reattach the eyes for people to be able to see. And, and I'm not asking for physical healing. I'm just asking you for somehow just to get me out of here. Just give me an attorney. Give me something, anything. Well, the situation goes from bad to worse for John the Baptist. See, John continues to faithfully wait. Now he's pondering this response that Jesus gave him. He's trying to believe in prison. He's trying to keep some hope going. And while he's doing that, Herod decides he's going to throw a big celebration party. And everybody's at the party, and the Bible tells us that everybody's getting drunk. This creates a lot of problems because while the king had way too much to drink, and this is where the story gets weird. Well, hold on. I thought you said that he married his brother's wife and... Yeah, but it gets weirder, okay? 
welcome to the Bible, people. And he says this, that this party happens, they're drunk, and the daughter Salome, so this is Herodias and, and Herod's daughter, she does a dance for her dad. It's not ballet, okay? It's not a good dance. It's one of those that you cover the eyes of the people beside you, okay? She dances, and her dad really liked it. Okay, so he's not serving in kids' ministry anytime soon. He's drunk, and this happens, and he's like, this is, this is wonderful. And then he says in front of all the party guests, not only did he just keep, this is the thing you should probably just keep yourself and, and work through that. He just boldly proclaimed, what a beautiful dance that was by her. And everybody's going, ooh, let's get our kids to the minivan. We gotta get, we gotta get out of here. And, and, and he makes this proclamation about how great the dance is. And, and how, honey, listen, I'll give you anything you want because that was so good. I'll give you any, you just tell me what you want. And, and I'll get it. I'll make it happen. Well, he said this in front of all of his guests. He's got to be a man of his word at this point. He can't go back. Well, she's a teenager. She didn't know what she wanted. You ever ask a teenager what they want? That's why they get gift cards. And then they complain they got a gift card because they didn't tell you what they wanted. Right? And she didn't know what she wants. So she goes and she gets very unwise counsel because she goes to her mother, Herodias, and says, Listen, I did this day. Don't worry about that. My dad said he's going to give me whatever I want. I don't know what to ask for. There's so much that I could ask for. And she said, I got an idea. Why don't you ask for the head of John the Baptist? That would be a great gift. Imagine the disappointment on your birthday when you open your gift and it's the head of your enemy just sitting on a platter. Maybe for some of you that doesn't sound like a bad thing, but that, that is a bad thing. And she said, you should go ask for that. So the girl does. She says, hey, Dad, here, here's what I want. I want the head of John the Baptist. I want it on a plate. I want you to bring it on a plate. That's the one thing I want. And the king said, all right. Now, remember, he didn't want him dead, and he didn't want him in jail because he actually kind of cared for John the Baptist. But this time, he's got to do what he's got to do. And so, and, and this is where the story gets amazing. Here's what happens. He sends prison guards to go get John the Baptist and, and Show them how to get ahead in life. But before they get there, an angel of the Lord appears with a massive sword. Earthquake happens. The ground shakes. John the Baptist breaks free. He runs. Herod is converted to a Christian. All of Israel becomes a, a, a Christian nation. Thousands saved. That's not how the story went. But wouldn't that be a much better story? Because here's what happened. Those guards walked right into that prison with their swords and told John, any last words? Chop his head off. Put his head on a platter and served it up. Brought it right into the party and said, here you go, honey. Here's the head of John the Baptist. Now, the story would be so much better if that earthquake really did happen. And there are places in the Bible where the earthquakes do and the ground shakes. That's Paul and Silas. When you get to heaven, ask them. They'll tell you about it. Read about it. 
But God did not intervene. He did not come and save John the Baptist from this situation. He, he allowed it to play out. In Mark chapter 6, it says, Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. He regretted making that promise. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guest, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and to bring it to him. And the soldier beheaded John in prison, and he brought his head on a tray, and he gave it to the girl who took it to her mom. John the Baptist served faithfully. John had the power to or Jesus had the power to rescue him, but he didn't. The guard goes in to see John in prison, and he brings his head back on a platter. This did not go the way that John thought it was going to go. He thought, maybe I'm just going to be here for a little bit. And I only told the king and the queen what the problem was, and they were breaking the law. I was just informing them of what the law was. I was doing what God asked me to do. And now it's over. Like, I'm going to die because of that, because of greed. And I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't fit our version of Christianity. It doesn't fit where we get the promotion and we get the new house and we never get sick and everybody's always healed. The story doesn't fit with everything else if you just read the context of all these other... Because Jesus is out there healing people. There, there are miracles happening just a few miles from this jail cell and the one that is crying out the loudest, nothing. Nothing. That's where we have to wrestle. So let's take a step back just for a few seconds. And we've got to disconnect from the emotion of the story. And we have to ask, what, what actually happened here? And here's what we do know. John's desire was fulfilled. And it was to prepare the way of the Lord. He had done that. That's why Jesus responded the way that he did of going, you did a good job, man. You did a good job. You did, you did exactly what was asked. You did a good job. And John's desires fulfilled. He was preparing the way. He actually did it. And what we recognize is not just John's, but God's purpose was fulfilled. The, the blind would see and the lame would walk. And we, we recognize that. The gospel had been proclaimed. And we see that John actually did what he was going to do. And more importantly, God did what he purposed him to do. That's the important piece here. It just didn't come to pass the way that John had planned. I don't think the disciples, any of the disciples, thought that their lives were going to end the way that they did. I mean, they were all killed. And they tried to get the writer John, the apostle John, but it just didn't work. So he ends up on a vacation on the Isle of Patmos writing the book of Revelation. Where does all this go? Because this leads to a lot more confusion, doesn't it? Because it doesn't really answer the question. But we said just because God isn't speaking doesn't mean that he's absent. Proverbs 19.21, Old Testament, describes this in a sense. He talks about it. He says, many are, many are the what? Say it with me. Many are the, the plans in a man's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans. I mean, I have plans for my life. But the Bible also says that 
God has plans for your life, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. God has plans. We have plans. And many are the plans in our heart, but it's going to be the Lord's purpose that prevails. The closer we get to God, guess what our hearts will start to look like? It'll look a lot more like His. We can't trust ours. Our heart will. We, we talked about this. We had enemies of the heart. Our hearts are crooked because they're, they've been corrupt from day one. And it's God's plans that prevail. It wasn't John's plan that was going to prevail. It was God's plan that's going to prevail. Because God's word is true whether my experience lines up with God's word or not. Let me, let me give you this tidbit. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't have to understand the plan. It's okay. His plan keeps you on your toes a little bit more. Sometimes God's going to step in and He's going to heal people. And sometimes He's not. I don't like that plan. I like the plan that we pray and everything is great. Everybody gets blessed. Everybody doesn't have to fight the sick. We can just pray it right off and that doesn't always happen. Now, let me tell you this, too, because this is where people are like, well, what's the point of even praying? I had somebody ask me this question not long ago. Am I foolish for asking God to bring healing to this situation? I said, you would be foolish not to because you pray until God tells you the answer. Just be ready. Sometimes the answer may be no. But we're praying for the yes. We pray with confidence. We pray that it's going to be a yes until God says. Because the Holy Spirit will lead God and direct us in those prayers. Listen, there's some of you, you got some very personal, very urgent problems that you're really needing God. You're like, he's, out. he's not. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. Some of you, you're praying for somebody that's sick and you love them and they're not getting any better. It's like they take 30 steps backwards. And you find yourself asking, where is God? Where is God? He's there. He's in the middle of it. But we got to get away from our plan to find his purpose. You know, there are people over this past year, they, they've worked really hard at their job. They were really good at their job. And the economy takes a hit and they lose their job. And they went from having to not having and having to depend on other people and having to depend on programs and having to depend. It's not where they thought they were going to be. The plan didn't work out for them. There are people who have lost these jobs or people who have lost loved ones they have prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing but can I tell you this when I say that you don't have to understand the plan to still trust God's purpose it doesn't erase the fact that God is still good he is still good God doesn't give us sicknesses he doesn't give us these things sickness was never the thing cancer was never the thing it did not exist in Genesis chapter 1 or 2 because our bodies function the way that God had designed. Everything was functioning the way it was supposed to. He said in the garden in, in, when he was creating, every time he created, he said, it is good. And the moment that sin came, it collapsed everything. God is still good. We do not interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. When things aren't going well, it doesn't mean that he's not good. We interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. That he's here. He's working through it. He's going to bring comfort. He may never, ever give you the answer to why it's happening the way that it is. You may never get that. But you've got to find rest in the purpose. 
in the purpose. So we believe that God's still good. He's always good. He can't be anything but good. Because if he's anything but good, then he's not God. It, it erases the whole thing. So we, we don't have to understand everything in order to continue to trust God. I've just got to trust that his ways are higher and his ways are better. That he knows a little bit more than I do. Matter of fact, he knows a whole lot more than I do. And I may not like it, but I love him. And I've got to trust him. And it might be a difficult, tough, hard path that you're going to walk down on some of these situations, but his promise is his presence in the middle of that situation. And that is more than enough of just knowing that he's there. So if you're like me, I want to know what the plan is, though. Like, what's the plan? Don't you hate it when you're going somewhere and nobody has the plan laid out? Oh, it's the worst. What time are we going to dinner? Ah, whenever. No, my body needs to know what time we're going. What's the plan? Where are we going? Who are we going with? What are the food options? I need to know. I want to know the plan. And there are times that that happens with God. I, I just need to know the plan. Like, tell me the plan. And I can just tell you, this is not where I thought life would end up. I had zero desire to be in ministry. I, I told God that I wouldn't do it. I wanted to be a flight medic. I, wanted to, I, I went to EMT school. I wanted to continue working on an ambulance. I wanted to go fly on helicopter. That's what I wanted to do. That was my plan. And I told God, I can do ministry in the back of an ambulance because the strap down can't go anywhere. I'll just preach and pray over them. And God said, my purpose and my ways are better than your ways. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. There have been some ups and some downs and some bad valleys. Very difficult, hurtful valleys. But it's always been his presence in those places that has sustained me. That's what his goodness does. His goodness sustains. Many are the plans in a heart, but the Lord's purpose prevails. And his purpose is always greater than our plans. I'd say this, my faith is no longer in my plan. My faith is in the purpose. All my life is not the center. I'm not the main actor in the play. I just play the background. Jesus has the lead role. He always does. And he's got this thing scripted. I'm just here to serve God and to glorify him however I can. And I, my life looks more like somebody that needs Jesus than somebody that has Jesus many days. And you know that Jesus, had the, there was a moment that he had to trust the plan. Jesus experienced almost the exact same thing. If you fast forward from this story, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to God, and he says this. God, I know I'm about to go to the cross, and this is going to be brutal. I know what they're about to do to me. If there's any other way, I'm totally fine with that happening. If there is any other way, then step in and do that now. But if not, if not, your will be done. He knew. He knew. Do you know when Jesus was on the cross, after being there for a few hours and bleeding, the sky goes dark, and Jesus asked this question, My God, why have you forsaken me? There was a moment that the Father had to turn his back on his Son. That just because God was absent, 
Just because he seemed like he was absent didn't mean, or he was silent, didn't mean that he was absent because God was there the whole time. This is why the Bible tells us that Jesus has experienced everything that we've experienced. He was human. And we don't have to worry and fear the plan when it deviates. We just trust God for the purpose. That's a difficult thing. And here, and we're going to close right here. And I'm just going to tell you, that probably has stirred up more questions from you than it has helpful for you. And I am 100% okay with that. Because there's some things probably now going through your head. And there's probably some things that you're feeling right now. Here's what I want you to do with those things. Take them to prayer. Let the Holy Spirit give you that. Because I'll tell you that what the Holy Spirit wants to tell you is far greater than what I can tell you. Because I believe he has something specific to answer to those things. If you've been praying for somebody to be healed, if you've been praying for situations that you're going through, do not stop. Well, God's not listening. He is listening. He is not absent. He is here. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of build on this. And we're going to keep wrestling through these things. And they, again, they may, they may bring up more questions than they do answers. And here's how we can combat that, not just through prayer, but I've learned the best place to work these things out are through conversation. Okay? We have small groups that meet all throughout the week. We've got a lot of them. We have them all listed over here. I'd love to get you in one of those. That's a place for you to go and ask questions and work some of these things out with other like-minded believers and, and try to just figure out what, what, what else does the Scripture say on these things and find comfort in His purpose. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, I, I pray right now that um, we can take these nice little sayings and know that you're not, you're not absent in the silence, that you're here. We know that your, your plan or our plans are not as good as your purpose. Your purpose is so much better. And we know these things, but it doesn't always make the pain of situations that we battle and we go through, it doesn't make those things better all the time. So what, what we're asking right now is I pray that your Holy Spirit would intervene and speak. We may not even know how to start asking these questions or even praying about these things. I just pray that the promise that you gave us, that the Spirit will give us the words to speak when we need to speak. He's our translator. He will communicate to you. I pray right now that those words will be communicated and that you would begin lifting the burdens that are on us, off of us. We were not intended to carry these burdens. That we can truly just say, here I am. I trust you. I may not like it. I may not like the plan. But I trust you and I love you. God, do a work in these next few moments. And we pray these things in your name.